We're going to be reading from John chapter 3, verse 1, which is on page 1055 in the Bibles in the pews. Let's read together. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ever ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And as we look at it now, we pray that you'll be speaking to each one of us, meeting the need we have at the moment. be different for each of us, but Father, you know us. And so we ask you to encourage us as we look at your word now. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now, this is a passage that's used very often used in evangelistic sermons. You must be born again, and for God so loved the world. And many, many people have become Christians through this passage. Even myself, actually, from John 3, verse 16. I was a missionary in Zambia in 1981, not a Christian. That's another story. And I was walking down from the Sunday school class that I'd been asked to teach for older boys that spoke English and had script union notes, so it's just about following that. And as I was walking down, the lady who was doing, did the Sunday school for the older girls was complaining that uh, they were useless, that her girls were useless at memory verses. They can't even remember John 3.16. And I said, that's terrible. And I thought, what on earth is John 3.16? Because I didn't know. <laughs> And so as soon as I got back into the house, I got my Bible out and read John 3.16, For God so loves the world that whoever 
and whoever believes, and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, have everlasting life. And I thought, oh, I've heard that verse before. And I read it again, I thought, I like that verse. And I read it again, and again. And each time I read it, it was like it was being written into my heart. And my eyes were being opened about what Christ had done on the cross, what the message was all about. And it suddenly all came into focus just through reading that verse that I didn't know. But it's agreed it was terrible that we don't know it. <laughs> um, and so the Lord used this verse for me, just as he has for many other people. But I'm not going to be focusing directly on that verse for the whole of this sermon. I want to start at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the Jewish nation. They were the more the ones that ran the theocracy. There were the Sadducees, Sadducees as well, who had a, a slightly different theological take on Judaism that were more political. But Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, was a group of senior Jews that ran the nation both politically and spiritually. And so he's a very important person, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, now I've heard sermons in the past emphasizing by night, saying that he came secretly, and they've done a great thing about him coming secretly like this. Now, it's not there in the passage. It's not. It just says, this ruler of the Jews came to Jesus at night. Now, I looked up that word at night and see its various usages, and it sometimes can just mean in the evening, as, or night as opposed to daytime. Um, in, in Luke chapter 21, verse 37, it says that Jesus spent the daytime teaching in the temple courts, and at night he went and, spent the, went and stayed in, on the mountainside. It doesn't mean in the dead of night or anything. It just means after the sun's gone down. There's no other connotation than that. And where it is in the verse here is not emphasized in its position in the verse. So it just means that basically he came to Jesus after it got dark. Now, if you've lived in a rural area in Africa where there's no electricity, after it gets dark, people stop working and they go and sit around the fire, have their meal, and they sit and they talk until they go to bed at about nine o'clock. And they even have a word in Setswana for sitting down in the evening, discussing things after dark, in the evening until it goes to bed, until you go to bed. And that's common in a lot of pre-electricity cultures. You sit around the fire in the evening and you talk and discuss as people would sit round the fire in England in the old days. And that is probably what is being said here. Nicodemus came to him one evening to have a discussion with him. Now, a bit further down, the Lord says, um, um, how can, and Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Now, it seems that Nicodemus was like what you might call the head rabbi, head rabbi of Israel, the teacher of Israel. He was the final authority. And what it seems he was doing here, he was coming to Jesus in the evening, this young 30-year-old new preacher that was making a big name for himself, to come and talk to him and see what he was about. Test him out. 
And so here's the senior rabbi coming to the new big-name young preacher to see if he's teaching sound doctrine or not. That's basically the setting here. And she says, very politely, he says to the, to the Lord Jesus, Rabbi. Now, he's the teacher of Israel, and he says to this young man, Rabbi, teacher. So he's giving him a term of respect. He's coming very graciously to him and says, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what he's done here, he's thrown out some ideas in a very sort of gentle, indirect way. And says, we know you're a teacher come from God. You can't do these signs unless God is with him. He says, let's talk about one of these things I'm saying here. Now, it's interesting here that he's maybe saying this with a certain amount of irony because at the time there were false teachers and false miracle workers that were known. I mean, he would have known about the time back here. I mean, as a rabbi, he would have known of the time in Egypt where Moses was doing the signs in front of Pharaoh and, Moses and Pharaoh's magicians were imitating with false signs and wonders. So here he is saying, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Well, obviously new signs and wonders can be done without God. So he's been very gracious and saying, I think you're coming from God. I'm calling you a rabbi. Let's explore this a bit. So that's what's going on here. He's been very gracious and very kind. And what does the Lord Jesus say? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. First of all, the Lord Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. And that's an oath formula. And that is saying, listen, what I'm saying to you now is absolute truth and absolute importance. You need to sit and listen to what I'm saying. When he says, truly, truly, I say to you, or in your King James, verily, verily, I say unto you, don't just skip over that. What follows that is of utmost gravity and importance. And in this passage, he's, the Lord Jesus says that three times. And he says to the rabbi, to, to Nicodemus, effectively, you've come to ask me about me, but actually I'm turning this around. I'm asking you about your spiritual state. I say to you, and this is really important, Nicodemus, listen to me. I say to you, no one, um, unless you are born again, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now this Nicodemus would have been really taken aback at this. Can you imagine Henry, a young 30-year-old you've never heard in, comes in and sits you down and says, actually I need to talk about your spiritual state. It would be a bit sort of, you might be a bit taken aback. I would be if I was coming to see what somebody was about and they could turn it back on me. But this is exactly what the Lord Jesus is saying. He was saying, no, I'm the one with the important questions here, not you. And so immediately Nicodemus is on the back foot. Now then, born again. A little Greek word again with so much meaning. It's always, in all Bibles, translated as again. Some in the footnotes say from above or born anew, refurbished. 
The root of it is from above. And here in the passage, you get a little bit of a play on this word between the interaction between Nicodemus and, and, and the Lord Jesus. Unless you are born, anothen it says, from above or born again. Which way is it going to be taken here? It says, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? So he's taken it of being born again. It can have that connotation in Greek. And he's saying, how can I get back in my mother's womb and be born again when a man is old? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say unto you, so again, very important thing, unless you're born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he's saying, no, I'm not talking about being born again from the womb. I'm talking about being born from above by the Spirit of God, from heaven. And it's this ambiguity in what the Lord said, his phrasing there, to see which way Nicodemus would answer it, and then to correct him. Now, Nicodemus had all the theology. He was the teacher of Israel. And many of us, have studied the Bible, we know the Bible, and sometimes our spiritual lives can become a bit dry, even though we know it all, or know a lot. Now Nicodemus, the Lord Jesus was saying, is you're perhaps a bit spiritually dry. You've got all the knowledge, but do you have that assurance you're actually going to be with the Lord in heaven forever? Are you going to heaven when you die? My great friend Lily Reed in Botswana, and sorry, in, in Coventry, who is my link person from my work in Botswana at the church there, she died three, four weeks ago, 82 quite suddenly, and I'm back for her, came back for her funeral. She was quite happy and ready to die. She knew where she was going. She was looking forward to seeing the Lord. Her funeral was wonderful. Two weeks ago, my mother I thought she was dying in my arms. She revived, and when she came back, she says, oh, blow, I'm still here. You know, she knows where she's going. She was looking forward to it in a way, a bit apprehensive, yes, but looking forward to it. And when she re recovered from her heart palpitations and going faint and things like that and drifting off, she, says, and she realized she was back again, she says, oh, blow. That's the way it should be, isn't it? With that assurance of you knowing where you're going. Does everybody here have that assurance? Do you know that if you were to die, where you'd go? I've been very close to death three times in my life. First time before I was a Christian, or just becoming, getting to know, it was before I went to Zambia, I was, seven, I was 19. And in that instance, the Lord was right there. He was basically saying, I'm with you here. And that was my first experience of the Lord leading me into this assurance. Second time, I had malaria very, very badly in Botswana. A doctor was checking on me every half hour to see if I was still alive, basically. And I was thinking, oh, if this gets any worse, I'll probably die. Won't it be lovely to see the Lord? And that's all I could think. Third time, I was saying, not yet, Lord, I haven't finished my work. 
and I'm still here with a broken back, but repaired. <laughs> but every time, the one thing that was not there in all of those things, well, the first time there was, and the Lord just took that away because I didn't know about it when I was 19, but every time was at the bottom of it, when it really counted, not just the knowledge, something sealed into my heart by the Lord, that I'm going to be with him. And that's the most remarkable privilege to have. So how do we get this assurance? How do we get it? Is it through having all the knowledge of the Old Testament that Nicodemus had? No. And this is what the Lord Jesus is saying. No, you've got to be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. I say to you, unless you are born of water and the Spirit. Now, water and the Spirit, this water here is a reference to baptism, but it is not in any way suggesting that baptism saves you. Now, it is a re referent back probably to two things. John the Baptist was baptizing a baptism of repentance to prepare the way for the Lord. And also, if you're a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you had to learn some things. And one of the things you had to do was get baptized. Baptism predated Christianity in, in Jewish traditions. The Essenes baptized. It was a baptism of repentance. But if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you had to be baptized to show the break from your Gentile life to becoming a Jewish person. And the Lord Jesus is saying, you don't have to become a Jew, but there has to be in your heart a repentance, an acknowledgement of your sin. And this is John the Baptist's baptism of repentance. But what did John the Baptist says? I baptize you with water, but one who's coming after you, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so I think the Lord Jesus, or John as he's writing this, is certainly referring back to that. And the Lord Jesus is saying he's referring back to that. Water and the Spirit. It's not enough to be born just of water, to have a repentance, or to have a knowledge, or to have assented to something. That's part of it. It doesn't save you. It's part of the process that the Lord brings us through. But until the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and makes you new, you are not born from above. And that's what we're looking for. Now then, let's look at this word spirit. I've long thought the English word spirit is not really the right word. I mean, the Hebrew and the Greek word is just wind. And spirit, we think are more of ghost. I mean, in, in German and Dutch, the name for the Holy Spirit, they call it the Heilige Spook, which I always find quite amusing, but spook doesn't have that connotation in those languages. But we, we think of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, this spiritual thing. And who knows exactly, who can actually describe who the Holy Spirit is? We can't. We can feel him, we can sense him, we can know him, we can see what he does. But I cannot put the Holy Spirit in a nice little box and say, this is who he is and what he's like. None of us can. Um, just as no one has ever seen God who dwells in unapproachable light, we can't put God in a box in any way. The only person of the Godhead we have a bit more of a handle on, if you like, is the Lord Jesus because he became a man and we've got all this written about him. But the Holy Spirit in Greek here is pneuma, the wind. And then the Lord picks up on that and takes the word wind, as we'll see, 
and explains something about the Holy Spirit. Unless you're born by this Holy Spirit of God, this wind coming from God. You think in the day of Pentecost, the mighty rushing wind coming into the room and the tongues of fire. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And he's saying, yes, you go back into your mother's womb if you could, or you're born from your mother's womb, and that gives you life on earth. But eternal life doesn't come through this or human effort, as we're told in John chapter 1, but it is something that the Lord does in us by his grace. And the fact he says, water, by water in the word, there has to be, as a precursor to this, an understanding of our sin deep in our hearts, not just one or two, oh, we've done little bad things, the Lord will forgive us, but understanding in our very nature that our desire and our inclination is towards sin, to do things not right, to rebel against God in our hearts. Now, I say this to non-Christians, but many years ago, I was absolutely shocked by myself when I was praying and reading and realizing that in me, as a missionary in Botswana with the Lord blessing the work, that in me there was still a resentment that the Lord had the right to control my life. And that was a bit of a shock, because here was I, the Christian, going on the missionary and things like that. And when I really deeply examined my heart in the light of reading the Bible, I realized there was still a deep-seated resentment of the Lord, although I loved him. And this was confusing. And I thought about it and prayed about it and thought about it. He says, we know I love you, Lord. Why is it here? And that, that was when I began to understand just how deeply sin is implanted in our lives. Sin is rebellion. It's lawlessness. It's a rejection of God is the root of it. And although we come to Christ, the Lord draws us that deep inner being that has changed, it still has a residue there. You know, we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. We have to put off the old man, be renewed in our minds, and put on the new, put on Christ in Ephesians chapter 4. You know, the old man that is being corrupted. It carries on even after we're a Christian. It's not that we suddenly become instantly sanctified and perfect the moment we become a Christian. And when I started looking deep into my heart, I realized this root was still there which is why I need the Lord every day, which is why I need the Holy Spirit to renew me and refresh me and to give me that new birth, the living out of that new birth every day. This isn't a passage just for people becoming Christians. The Lord Jesus is saying, this is something that has to be a daily walk with the Lord. We need the Holy Spirit leading us in Christ's paths, otherwise our heart will very quickly take us back into the world. If you want to know the Lord, obviously, first, we have to say we want him. We have to come acknowledging our sin, that it's right deep in our hearts. Acknowledge that, tell him about it. But ultimately, it's about the Lord coming to us and saving us. And that is the beauty of the gospel, is we, no matter how rotten we are, all we are is an outworking of this inner, deep, insidious sin that we have. And there's no difference between good people and bad people in the world. We're all sinners. 
but the Lord in his grace comes to us. Listen to what he says. Um, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again or born from above. The wind blows, the wind or the spirit, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with he, with everyone who is born of the spirit. We don't know why God chooses that moment to work in us, why the Holy Spirit comes and makes us alive and gives us that assurance. But that is what we're looking for. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, when we seek the Lord with our whole heart, we'll find him and he will come to us. He comes to us. And once he's done that work in you, then the bottom line is you have that assurance. You know you're going to be with the Lord. And Nicodemus, it seems at this stage, didn't have that, which is why the Lord says, you've got all the knowledge, you've got all the theology, you're probably a model Jew, but do you know the Father? Have you come to a knowledge of him? Has the Holy Spirit come and lived in you? Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher at Westminster Chapel, many, many years ago, he died, I think, 81 or 82. But he was there. When he first went to Westminster Chapel, the elders and deacons there were absolutely solid, straight down the line, conservative, reformed, evangelical. Couldn't fault them doctrinally. And Martin Lloyd-Jones once said of them, perfectly orthodox and perfectly useless. Had all the theology, had all the teaching, model of a conservative Baptist Christian, reformed Christian, but lacking the outworking of the life of Christ in their lives. And it can be a danger that we get complacent in our knowledge and not open to the renewing, the refreshing of the Holy Spirit in us. Now when John the Baptist says he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, that phrase has got somehow distorted over the years and people think, oh, when I speak in tongues, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, no, it's not. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit comes into us and makes us alive. And he does give us gifts according to his own um, knowledge and wisdom. And on the day of Pentecost, there was a need to preach to the peoples there. So he gave them the, those people the gift of being able to preach to the people of other languages. But when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, first and foremost, what he is doing is revealing Christ in us and bringing us into fellowship with the Father and into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And out of that relationship will become the equipping to serve him. But what we need is to be born from above by the Spirit of God in our hearts, shedding abroad his love in our hearts so we know that we've come to know him. And if there are people sitting here that really don't have that assurance yet and that knowledge of Christ in them, I'd encourage you, don't be discouraged. Nicodemus didn't know it. And the Lord came to him and says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
Is this your experience? And he asks each other, each of us, is this your experience today? And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is the third time he says, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. It's the Lord Jesus saying, I'm telling you these things, but you're not really accepting it. You've got your theology, but do you know me? If I have told you earthly things and do not believe, you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Don't expect Christianity to fall into nice little packages. God is bigger than that. He wants to speak into your heart, make you new. It's not just a question of following a set formula of rules, though they are important. But they won't get you to heaven. They won't bring you into fellowship with the Father. That is the work of the Holy Spirit coming into you. And when you know, when he's there, you'll know you've come into the presence of Christ and the Father. It won't be outward signs. It's not the gifts. It's coming to know him. And then the Lord Jesus says something a little bit curious. No one has ever ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. The title Son of Man, that was the title given to the rule of the eternal kingdom in Daniel. After the, the um, Babylonian kingdom came the Persian kingdom, then the Greek kingdom, then the Roman Empire, and it says after that those will crumble and what will be established is an eternal kingdom. And the Father will send the Son, the Son of Man will come out of heaven in the clouds and establish an eternal reign. That Son of Man is the Lord Jesus coming from heaven to earth to be King of kings and Lord of lords eternally. And he's saying the only one who has come, who's been into heaven as a human being is the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man, the eternal King. And so he's saying here to Nicodemus, I actually am the eternal king. I'm not just this upstart young preacher. I am the one that has come to establish this kingdom, and you need to be in it. This is the eternal kingdom. And it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, in, in the book of Numbers, the Jewish people, the Israelites, were grumbling against God, and so he sent poisonous snakes, venomous snakes amongst them. And some of them were bitten and died, and they cried out to Moses and says, intercede for us before the Father. Take away these snakes. And do you know what the Lord did? He didn't take away the snakes. He left them there. But he says, Moses, make a bronze image of a snake and put it on your staff and stick it in there. And when people are bitten, they come and they look at that and trust in that, and they will be healed. The Lord is not taking sin out of the world instantaneously. He's not making us instantaneously perfect. He says, no, you must look to the Lord Jesus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the eternal king, son of man, be lifted up and die. For eternity to come about on earth, the eternal kingdom to be established on earth, the Lord Jesus, the son of man, had to die on the cross. And the same way, if we want to 
grow in our Christian life and come to know the Lord, we have to be crucified with Christ. We have to put ourselves on the cross and say, this life of mine I've been living is not right, it is rotten, I want to make a break from that. Lord, please come and make me new. And the Lord Jesus had to die on the cross to take away our sin so it can be forgiven, so it's not counted against us, so we can be brought close to him. I was talking to a Muslim guy the other day, and he was asking me what I believed about Jesus. And I says, well, in Muslim thinking, the prophet Isa, as they call him, was substituted at the last minute on the cross because he was a prophet too holy to actually die. Somebody else had put on the cross at the last minute. And I said to this Muslim guy, that makes no sense for a just God unless a righteous man would die in place of the unrighteous then forgiveness cannot be just if other people are not forgiven. There had to be the penalty for sin by law has to be paid. And the Lord Jesus, the one righteous man, paid for all of that, all our sins on the cross. And when we look to him understanding that and saying, you are my Lord, then the Father will send his Holy Spirit to bring us into fellowship with himself. As we bring this sin, this insidious rebellion in our hearts to God and say, this is me, I'm trusting the Lord to take it away. And the God, the Son, the Lord Jesus who became man, the Son of Man on earth, to die on the cross for us, to take away our sins. And as we trust in him, the theology tells us we're sinners. The death of Christ brings us the new birth from above. And my prayer is that we will understand, as I read it now, verse 16 that spoke to me so much all those years ago in 1981. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Trusting in him and believing in him. And if you haven't, then I'd encourage you to. If you have and you are a Christian, are you quenching the Holy Spirit? Or is that wind of God still blowing into your heart? Are you, outwardly, we might be fading away, but inwardly, we are being renewed day by day in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 or 17 or something. Um, inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. The Holy Spirit doesn't just bring into fellowship with God once, but he's there in our lives each day. And we need to be coming back in repentance to the Lord each day, seeing what things have been wrong in our lives, not quenching the Holy Spirit, but allowing him to daily draw us to the Father. So when we do come face to face with death, we can say, yes, Lord, won't it be lovely to see you? And when we live on earth and going through the trials, we can say, Lord, you're here with me. I'm walking with you. You're walking with me. And when we're confused, we can say, Lord, lead me into all truth, because we know he's there. The daily living in the presence of Christ can only happen when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is a sovereign work of the Lord that comes to us. And part of that is the repentance, the acknowledgement of our sin, and saying, Lord, take it. Please let me come to you. And we do through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it is such a joy 
to talk about the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. And to see that he would speak to the teacher of Israel and cut through to his heart and say, you need this, not just your knowledge. And Father, you speak to us, whatever we're trusting in, thinking we're good enough or not, thinking we're okay, and you're saying, no, you need me. You need my Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you will speak to each one of us now. Speak into our hearts, Lord, right through to the depths of that point of rebellion in us that I discovered. And Father, please, from there, show us your grace and your forgiveness. And may your Holy Spirit refresh us and renew us, make us new and renew us inwardly day by day, that we can live for you and glorify you. But most of all, that we can have that assurance that we are in you and you in us, the hope of glory. And Lord, may we glorify you with our lives each day until the Lord Jesus returns and makes all things new. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and thank you for what you've been doing in us. And those that you're speaking to right now, Lord, may they listen to you and find help. Lord, we thank you for your grace and that you want to do this for us because the Lord Jesus has died for us and you have sent us your Holy Spirit. We give you thanks and praise as we trust in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.